I certainly never wanted to be a set designer as a child and never even really heard of set design. Mm. Um, but I did always have a need to make things. For your family, it must be a relief to have such a creative mind inside because no one would have to worry about the furniture setting and all that. Ah. You're so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sometimes lazy about that in real life, in my own life. <laughs> I'm much more of a perfectionist about that on stage than I am in my own life. You know, we decided early on not to read any history books, only to read the original documents because we decided the history books were too biased. Yeah. So we only we only read documents, original documents from from the American Revolution and we if you can find a surprising truth in something mm -hmm. that you know it may just be a little detail that an audience member will look at and go, "Oh yeah, I know that." The actress hands this doll to the actor mm. and one of the legs fell off <laughs> and landed on the stage. <laughs> I mean, that must be quite a mood breaker for the audience. Oh my God! And the, the other the other actor had no choice but to just reach down and pick it up. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah, so so awful. Thank you for joining. I'm all charged up for today's episode because we have the Tony and Emmy Award winning set designer Derek McLean, who has been involved in the designing of over 350 productions and also involved in the set designing of the Oscars for five consecutive years, about which we would talk more. First of all, it's an honor to have you, sir, and thank you for sharing your time. For those who don't know, he's actually a coronavirus survivor, and it's great to see that. With all the support and best wishes of your family and people around you, you're healthy and fit as before. Thank you. Thank you. I was a, I was a lucky one. I, was, I had a pretty mild case. So. Yeah. I've been so marveled up to watch the aesthetic and majestic sets you have designed. Take it from Oscars to Broadway. And as a child, I always used to wonder that who comes up with these ideas. And today I'm talking with the person who's best at it. I've heard that now you're exerting all those creative juices into painting. And I looked at some of them, they are really good and seem so authentic as well. And I just want to ask that, was there like some sort of childhood story or experience where you discovered your talent of finding certain patterns and designing stuff that you now look back upon? Because I've read on your website that you used to build aeroplanes with balsa wood and elaborate aquariums in basements at the age of 12 to 13, which is quite impressive. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I certainly never wanted to be a set designer as a child. I never even really heard of set design. Mm. Um, but I did always have a need to make things. Um, I didn't have any drawing skills, so uh, my drawings were always frustrating. I, uh, for a little while, I thought maybe I wanted to be an architect, um, but I never really did anything about that. Um, but, you know, I did, I did, as you say, build uh, these sort of elaborate aquariums, um, which, uh, by the way, did not hold water. I built them from scratch and I built them out of combination of mostly out of wood with, you know, and I would go to the hardware store and buy one piece of glass, which I would try to glue onto the side of this open wood box that I had made. And, um, but it really wasn't about putting fish or water in them. It was about, you know, in retrospect, I think what I was doing was making sort of little scenes. Um, 
you know, little models. And uh, I just didn't really know it. Um, and I, you're right, I did make a lot of uh, balsa wood airplanes. I made airplanes out of all sorts of things. In fact, um, as a child, the earliest thing I remember making uh, was in Calcutta. Uh, we lived in Calcutta for a few years when I was little. And um, uh, we had seen um, some fireworks go off. And so I decided I wanted to make my own fireworks. And so I built a rocket out of paper um, and made a nose cone out of paper. <laughs> and I stuffed the inside of it with dried leaves. I was quite sure that if you light, lit the dried leaves on fire, the thing would shoot up in the air. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my father very gently trying to um, uh, prepare me for, for possible disappointment and saying, I'm not sure that, that uh, dried leaves are the same thing as rocket fuel. Um, but by all means, try it. And um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's that's my earliest memory of building something. Uh, that's really awesome. That how you used to experiment with creativity at such a young age. And as you mentioned, India, I am right now live from Delhi, and I was also reading about that you spent two years in India and your and your love and respect for your father yeah. and how yes. much of a travel enthusiast was he and used to take you to every nick and corner and it was so exciting to hear i want to know about you that how much role did your father played in you know developing you as a child and improving your creativity well a huge role both he and my mother but very different roles my my father was not not artistic he was an historian um, and he was a he was a very um, sort of culturally brave man. He, you know, he would have the habit of uh, when you'd be, especially in India or Nepal or uh, Cambodia or wherever we were, he would find the the darkest, most interesting looking alley that could be slightly spooky, and he would just start walking down it, and he'd yeah. just sort of dare you to dare you to follow him, <laughs> and uh, you know, and. Um, we, you know, I remember my sister and I were often a little bit nervous, but we would follow him because he was just walking. You know, he was walking, so we, you know, and he 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 just loved to explore. He loved adventure. He loved people. He loved meeting people. Um, he was he was decent with languages, so he learned enough Bengali and enough Hindi to 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 get by. And um, uh, mm. you know, he would take us everywhere, and he just sort of viewed all of it as an incredible uh, an incredible. Started when he was uh, 19, he went on something called the Experiment in International Living. He took a freight uh, a freight 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 boat to India, um, yeah. and uh, and and that's where his love of, of traveling in India started. But it definitely um, he definitely instilled that in, in my sister and myself in terms of um, sort of loving the world, loving adventure, loving um, the exoticism, um, mm. you know, the other thing that, that I think appealed to all of us, everybody in my family was the incredible, uh, the incredibly rich visual nature of India. Um, the architecture, the temples, the colors, the clothing, um, and, uh, and, and the mixture of religions was also so incredible. The fact that there were True. so many religions, um, you know, sometimes all mixed up. I remember w the first time we went to Nepal, Mm. seeing these temples and saying, you know, saying to my dad, is this a Buddhist temple or a Hindu temple? <laughs> and he'd say, it's kind of both. It's like, you know, it's a mixture. It's got, it's, it looked, and he said, I couldn't, he, sometimes he couldn't, you couldn't really quite tell because things are sort of, 
things are kind of mixed up up there. And um, <laughs> I probably, I, I don't mean to offend anybody. Um, that's probably not true, but that's what it looked like to us anyway. Um, so that definitely, I think, had a big influence. And then, you know, my mother has always been a painter um, all her oh. life. She's retired now and she paints full time and she's a really, uh, a really deeply talented painter and also adventurous in her own way. She's always sort of, you know, mm-hmm. developing new, new styles of painting. Um, she's very, her work is very abstract at this point, but it used to be much more figurative, much more realistic. Mm-hmm. And um, that is another side to me, definitely. That's true. Is, 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 my, is my mother's side. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to hear that how those you know, talented artistic genes travel through. And yes. I was you know, also reading about you, and it's really great to hear that how your father opened up your mind to new experiences because in one of your set designs, Rafter Rafter, which is my personal oh, yeah. favorite, I've seen yeah, you add you. that indie touch to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's a, it's a, well, it's a Pakistani family, actually. Um, but I, uh, you know, not, not knowing really Pakistan quite as well, I sort of drew on my Indian experiences for that. Um, it, uh, it, but it's a Pakistani family living in Manchester, England. Mm-hmm. And it's a real classic, you know, uh, clash between the children and the parents. The parents are very traditional, um, uh, the, the parents are, uh, were Muslims. Uh, and they uh, they had a great love for their home country. Mm. You know, it's a classic immigrant story. You see it played out in America every day. You see it played out all over the world. Mm. And it's the same, you know, in England. It's this traditional traditional parents who want to raise their children in a traditional way. And they've, they, they've arranged a marriage for their son. And, you know, he's... He's rejecting. Uh, he's rejecting uh, the, you know, the, the sort of traditions of his parents, and he's he's embracing. He's become, you know, way more English than um, than mm-hmm. Pakistani, and so it's about that. You know, it's about it's about growing up and what happens when 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 immigrant families move to other countries and what and yeah. the way they assimilate. It actually reminds me of the story of this uh, amazing comedian Kumail Nanjiani. He also had a similar story of how he he and his family had to adjust because he married in America and his family was in Karachi, Pakistan. And it was truly amazing to hear that from you. And secondly, I've also read that you even went to Harvard and Yale. I mean, you must be a grind as a child in getting good grades. <laughs> Not really. I was, uh, I, I was intermittently a good student and... Um, Luckily for me, I was um, I went to boarding school the last two years of high school, and uh, I was, you know, I was not socially sophisticated at this boarding school, mm. and um, so I was a little bit lonely. And as a result, um, I, I just worked really, really hard. Um, and so I, I, I finished I finished my my secondary education strong, and um, that was that was a help, but. Um, I've I've had a spotty stu- a spotty career as a student. <laughs> okay, uh, it's great because usually it's the end part that really matters, and it's great to hear that right. you nailed it. And do correct me if I'm wrong. I even read that your father was dissatisfied with the current education system, and they developed their sort of own school in which you got to study. Is that right? Yes, that was in the 70s. And, you know, it was a kind of classic uh, counterculture move. Um, they, they, my parents and a bunch of other parents 
you know, they were all university professors. It was a bunch of mm -hmm. university professors. So they tend to be very liberal um, and very interested in education. And they were sort of, frankly, disgusted with the, uh, with the public schools and the way that the classes are being taught. They thought, you know, they thought that a lot of the teachers were just kind of phoning it in and um, that it was, it was overly conventional and not very imaginative and, they, and not relevant. Um, and mm -hmm. so uh, they started, they founded their own school. It was called a free school. There were no, literally no rules. Uh, there was no, or I shouldn't say there were no rules. There were no, there was no set curriculum. And so it was really up to the students to decide what classes they wanted to take and whether or not they wanted to take classes. And, uh, and it was completely democratic. Uh, every decision had to be made by the parents and the students together. We all had to vote. So it was exhausting. The, the, the you know, running that kind of a democracy mm -hmm. is very messy and very, very inefficient. Um, and, you know, the, I would say the first three months when we started was just chaos. Nobody took any classes. Uh, the students, <laughs> the kids, all we just played um, <laughs> because, they were, because we weren't required to. But then, yeah. you know, an interesting thing happened after about three months. We all got a little bored. And, um, and then we started classes. And the classes really came from the students. The students, mm. you know, would go to the group of students. Would, you know, I remember one of the classes I took was on Shakespeare where we acted and we read plays and discussed them. And that really came from somebody ask, posing a question about Shakespeare, or I think maybe saying you didn't understand Shakespeare. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a class ended up being formed around that. Another yeah. class was on the American Revolution. Um, and we decided, you know, we decided early on not to read any history books, only to read the original documents, because we decided the history books were too biased. Yeah. So we only... We only read documents, original documents from from the American Revolution, and we 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 conducted the class that way. It was a lot of work, um, <laughs> but but it was it was it was an exciting time to be a you know a, a fourteen year old or whatever I was. True. To be honest, it sounds so much cooler than my school. <laughs> All those uh, practical learning which went through because currently. Yeah. I believe there's a lot that should be done with education system and it has totally become sort of mundane and there are very yeah. few education systems le left that are that effective. And I heard you talk about Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare is great, but I myself still can't understand it. I still do not know what he means by to be or not to be. <laughs> I even read that you got to learn from Ming Shou Li in Yale, who's yes. known as the Dean of American Scene Design. And I'm curious yes. to know how was your experience and what important things you learned from him that you still remember to this day? Well, uh, Ming was uh, a singular most important teacher I had in my life. Um, he was uh, very tough. Um, very demanding. Uh, he could be brutal. Um, oh. He um, he had a bluntness, um, mm -hmm. which I think was partly from his personality, but also that English was not his first language. Uh, he's from Shanghai, and um, you know he moved to the United States when he was a college student, and so his English was pretty good, but. Um, but he left out certain words and he left out a lot of the words that would make things uh, nicer. <laughs> and, uh, and so it had, it had, you know, it had a certain effect because, 
he was and he's very very smart very smart and very passionate he really really i've never had a teacher who cared <laughs> to that degree about each one of his students i mean he would be when you did bad work when you did poor work mm. he was actually personally offended by it and he <laughs> He, oh. he, you know, he desperately wanted you to do better, and he and he pushed he pushed us all so hard, and so that was that was uh, you know that it was a three year program, uh, but that first year especially was the most intense experience really I can ever remember. I, you know, up until that point, I don't think I'd ever really been directly criticized before, where somebody, you know, looked me in the eye and said, "You did not do a good job on this," and. Oh. That was tough. That was tough. But yeah. Really, really valuable. And I can tell you, we all worked, you know, there weren't very many of us in that class. I think there were nine students in the class. And, you know, we worked incredibly hard and um, uh, grew uh, enormously over the course of those, those three years. So I'll, that's something I will never forget. Mm, that's right. And secondly, do you know, when I was hearing about your teacher, it just reminded me of the greatest personal wealth coach, Dan Pena. And I see some commonalities because I believe it's necessary for that kind of, you know, toughness, which he offered to you, because that's the reason why you are so good at what you do because of all the toughness and how much he exerted the creative juices out of all of you. And yes, this is, I believe, something which is lacking in current education system is having those people who have so much experience teach the students rather than a person who's just, you know, reading about it, person who has lived yeah. that life. And it was really great that how much of a role model he was for you. And yeah. besides this, I heard you say that the first time you designed a set was in college, utilizing your mm -hmm. carpentry skill, as mentioned in your website, learns to tear apart a play. And I want to ask, during that moment, did you ever thought that one day you would be designing stages for huge and majestic events like Oscars? <laughs> no, I certainly never considered that. Um, I mean, I you know, like a lot of... Uh, kids, I guess I was ambitious and I wanted to do big things. And the Oscars honestly had never occurred to me. Uh, that was just something that sort of uh, ended up falling into my lap much, much later on. You know, I, there were so many things that I knew that I didn't know then. Mm. And, um, you know, the truth is I still feel like there's a lot I, I don't, I don't know, but, um, but I know a little bit more now than I did then. And I, I you know, at that time, I really, there. you know, I looked at the work of other more accomplished set designers and I, you know, and I looked at those things and I said, you know, I want to be able to design a set like that, mm. um, you know, and I, and I, and I started to form a sort of, um, I, I suppose everybody does this, uh, you know, a kind of um, visual catalog of those remarkable designs that I've seen over the years. And you know, one by one, I try to sort of conquer those where I go, I want to try to be able to do that thing that that person did <laughs> that well. And, um, and sometimes I've, I've succeeded and, and there's still, there's still shows that I can sort of remember from those early days where I think, you know, I don't think I've quite actually achieved that yet. You know, that, that sort of, that type of design, that level of design on, on that type of project. And so that's been really fun for me, you know, is, is to try to develop the skills along the way because um, there's so many different skill sets involved with design. 
you know, that are, some are only applicable to certain types of shows, but they're not applicable to other types of shows. And, and so, uh, you know, kind of learning, learning about that and learning how to, learning how to amass those skills and, and apply them to shows is, is something that is, is enormously um, satisfying. True. One thing is really admirable about you is that how you enjoyed this whole process and start to now and how much you focused on you know, keep learning and keep improving. And I was yeah. e- even reading, you know, best thing I like about your approach is that you said in one of your podcasts that you don't focus on the budget at first. First thing is you just go through the script. Your main purpose is to just find those truths in between which you think the audience would resonate well with and i believe this would be this information would be really helpful for aspiring say designers and artists as well that how are you able to recognize those certain truths which you believe the audience would be able to resonate with one thing is you have to you know you have to learn to sort of trust your own impacts Mm. You, not impacts your own your own impulses. Excuse me. Um, so that you know, when you read something, it may trigger something in you, and it you know, and that's a truth. Uh, it may not be a universal truth, but what you hope as an artist is that if you can render that truth, if you can if you can deliver something that that has the right uh, truth to it, that the audience will will recognize that they'll recognize something in their own life when they see that on stage and that will resonate for them in a way. So the, the bad part of that is if you choose cliches, right? Because everybody recognizes <laughs> cliches. Those are not useful. They, they, they push, they push an audience member away, I think. Yeah. But if you can, if you can find a surprising truth in something mm-hmm. that, you know, it may just be a little detail that, an audience member will look at and go, oh yeah, I know that. Mm-hmm. I get that. I've seen that. That's, you know, that's, that's an interesting observation that draws them in, that draws them into, to the process. And it can be, you know, it can be, that can be true in a realistic set or it can also be true in something that's, that's, you know, much more metaphorical, but, and so the fidelity to those truths is, uh, it's really important in in design, and it's it's part of why part of why drawing things accurately and well is super important. It's not that not that everything has to be realistic, but it's that you have to be deliberate about what things you are showing and not showing. So that if you are if you are uh, choosing to put a, a period lamppost on a set, mm-hmm. that you're very deliberate about rendering those details in a way that that when the audience feels sees it that it it actually takes them to that period rather than rather than saying oh that's a kind of crappy rendition of that period because then that, then they then they don't enter into it but if you if you can if you can render it in a way that's authentic enough even if it's just that one detail you can pull the audience there Sure. And even, you know, talking about detailing, I really like that old farmhouse set design, which you did. I was watching it and it was so interesting and so unique to watch that I can clearly see that how much work and how you put in creating it. And I even read that you, you 
while you're reading a script or watching a movie side by side, you're also doodling ideas, which you believe would yes. create a great representation. Uh, can you give us an example of where you have used this observation and audience has you know, really appreciated it? Any example of any uh, set design which you remember? Wait, ask that question again. I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, I mean, you have created such amazing sets with such detailing. Is there any, you know, those moments when you get, oh, I found that truth in a particular script while reading oh, yeah. it? It's this particular experience which, you know, gets into your mind, maybe in early stages also, where you found that truth and you executed it, and audience was like, wow, it was really great. Yeah, um, I did a play last year called A Soldier's Play, which was, mm. you know, in some ways a kind of abstract set. Um, it takes place in a lot of different places. It takes place, um, you know, in different offices. But it's, mo- it's all basically on an army base. Mm. And, and it's, 19, it's 1943, so it's a World War II army base in the United States. And so I needed a space that was um, simple enough and uh, flexible enough that it could become, you know, there's probably 30 different locations within the army base that you go to during the course of the play. Mm. So you can't be that specific about where in the army base you are, but it had to feel like you were in the army base somehow. And so, um, you know, just find, and, and it's, it was very simple. Like when you looked at the research, these buildings are very, very plain. But the thing that struck me about them when I was looking at it was that, you know, World War II was not planned for a long time. You know, the United States entered that war hastily. Um, and suddenly we were training millions of troops almost overnight. And so these buildings, this housing for these troops had to be built really fast. And so, that, and that was the thing I started to notice when I looked mm. at these, the research that was that, that it was just, there was a, there was something about, it was neat, but it was, it was built quickly. And so that was the thing that, uh, you know, I tried to try to convey in the set. Did anybody in the audience consciously understand that? I really doubt it, um, nor do they need to. But I think that to me, when I looked at it, I, I sort of felt like, yeah, I think I got that. I think I, I conveyed that. And that's part of what it made, made it feel like that era was that, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a sort of can-do attitude, like the United States mm-hmm. had, had to just jump into this war and they built a lot of stuff very quickly and, uh, mm-hmm. And and so and there was no sentiment. There was no. There's nothing sentimental about it. It was utterly functional. It was that's uh-huh. you know that was that was sort of what I was after with that. And I, I and I think I think I kind of I think I kind of achieved that. Yeah, true. It's great that how you found out about those buildings, and you just remind me that in take it in any field, actors, artists, they all have this in common that how much they are able to you know, trust their own instincts and discover it. Like one of my favorite actors, Heath Ledger, the Joker, and he he was talking about one of his roles he played. And he said that he even used to look at the paintings of the person whom he is portraying and he could see, yeah, yeah. see the emotions in that person's eyes. And that could give him a hint of how to approach those lines. And that's why he is one of the greatest, you know, Oscar winning supporting actor in the history. And it's yes. really great to put the emphasis on it and one other thing which i find challenging about your particular you know skill set is when you have to depict 
a story or a play where the time change time and situation changes really fast and you have to show mm. it on a stage i mean that must be a challenge have you ever done anything like that and how how much work goes into you know all the brainstorming process yeah it's interesting um you, you know because you've got to find details that tell the audience that you know but a lot of times a lot of times to be honest that falls more to the costume designer uh than it does to the set designer it depends on the t- shift in time because if you're looking at somebody's house for example usually the changes let's say that you jump forward in time a year or two years usually the changes to somebody's house in one or two years are not that huge mm. it might be a few small things it might be a piece of furniture one piece of furniture is changed and you know obviously the things on the table have changed right. and you know uh maybe the positions of the blinds of the you know but it's not they're not like these are not giant changes so they're subtle you know usually you don't want to be you don't want to go overboard with that because otherwise it seems sort of confusing and jarring but mm. they, but the, on the other hand people's clothes in two or three years or in a year might change quite a bit um and so depending on the character you know depending on the person some people's clothes change more than others some people wear the same thing forever but um, yeah, jobs <laughs> yeah but also this you know this time you know even just the time of year will really change that with the clothes doesn't necessarily change it with the physical environment of the set uh depending on what you're seeing so it, you know it's a subtle thing i you know but then there are plays that that take big leaps in time and that's you know that's when it gets to be fun when you jump you know 20 years because yeah. you know uh, especially especially if it's in the 20 years within the last 100 years because things change so rapidly um, <laughs> and you know and that's that's really fun true it's uh, really great to hear that and secondly there was also this thing in my mind that uh, you know you have created and set design for you know more than 350 theatrical productions how are you able to keep coming up with you know fresh ideas and what is your main research process that makes you so original each and every time because i don't know maybe sometimes you have to you know say design for the same sort of play or story again so are you able to portray some uniqueness and freshness each and every time well there's always a different combination of of you know of factors number one is the script you know uh every so that that's where the that's the that's the major influence of the story is you know the story tells you so much of 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 what you're going to do but even if you're coming back to do the same play again let's say it's let's say it's a sondheim musical or a shakespeare play that you know you might do you might do a couple of productions of that in your lifetime um chances are it's going to be with a different director um mm-hmm. And the other thing is if it's a if it's a play or musical that's good enough that it merits multiple productions it also means there's a lot of different ways to do it and oh. um you know in a funny way uh, I can't say that my work is always original but making it different is not really that much of a challenge because it just is different because you're telling a different story and you're mm-hmm. working with a different director and you're working you know probably in a different space a different theater and so you know the minute you just change a couple of those variables they're big variables uh, you know it's going to it's just going to be different you know that's i mean to me that's the fun thing about about set design is is developing something that's unique to that production I and mean, that's that's what's exciting about it 
Yeah, it's a uh, really great. And secondly, you know, when it comes to set design, there is always involvement of directors and basically the cast. And I want to ask, is there in your career that have you, you must have also, you know, worked with actors as well when it comes to designing the set. I don't know if that's true. So is there any actor have you worked with? I mean, how was that experience? Well, Usually the actors don't get involved in the set design. Mm. Usually, you know, usually the set design is done before the actors are cast um, for the most part. That's usually the way it is. But occasionally there's been a show that is, you know, it's like a star vehicle where, you know, an actor is the reason you're doing the show. And in some cases like that, you know, we, we have done, usually it's me and the director have done a sort of special preview mm. of the design for for that actor uh, ahead of time, but they're they're generally not involved with the design process. Okay, yeah, that's something new for me that the set design is done before the actual casting of the actors. And secondly, when it comes to you know a house like you were talking about, you know, for your family it must be a relief to have such a creative mind inside because no one would have to worry about the furniture setting and all that. Yeah. You're so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm I sometimes lazy about that in real life. In my own life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen. I would that. say I'm much. I'm much more of a perfectionist about that on stage than I am in my own life. <laughs> oh, you know, I've also seen that even the famous chefs they are quite lazy in their own house when it comes to you know yeah. <laughs> cooking cuisine. So, so it's it's quite re- relatable, and I can totally understand your side. And also, there must be so much work on the real stage that when you go home, you do not want to be overburdened with other settings as well. And I know what I'm going to say now may sound a bit unprofessional because now there are so many technological advances that there, it is quite rare to happen, but has it ever happened that you put hours and hours of work in designing a production set and during the performance, one of the props from the sky falls down or something like that happens? Maybe the audience won't notice it, but the people backstage go, oh, damn it. Yeah, no, it definitely it, it definitely does happen. Um, uh, you know, the, the thing you really pray is that nobody gets hurt when that happens. Uh, <laughs> but yes, things do break. Absolutely. Um, Usually it's mechanical things that break where, you know, a piece of machinery gets stuck or something mm-hmm. during, during a performance. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could, there was a funny thing that happened. Um, I did this production of Ragtime on Broadway probably about 10 years ago. I can't remember exactly when, maybe 12, 15, maybe 15 years ago. And um, there's a bunch of babies in the show. You know, mm-hmm. there's a newborn baby, which is a doll. And then you see the baby again at six months old. And then uh, you see the baby at like 18 months old. And then at the very end of the show, you see a young boy run on stage when he's mm-hmm. about four. And so we had an actor playing for the young boy, four-year-old actor. But the others are all props. So we had, you know, we had different sized dolls, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that for the 18-month-old, you know, basically we, it was staged so that you couldn't really see it very well because we didn't want to give away that it was a doll. We wanted the audience to believe it was a real sleeping mm-hmm. 18-month-old. But the, one actor has to hand it to the other actor, and uh, the mother has to hand it to the father. She says, here, it's your, your child. Take him. So one of the things that always bothered me when we were in rehearsals was that the limbs of this doll were so light that they'd sort of flop around and they didn't seem real. And mm-hmm. so I, I kept asking them to put more weight 
in the limbs of this of this prop so that the limbs felt more like the weight of a human body. Mm-hmm. And they did. And every day they added a little more weight. And so finally it was sort of hanging right. Anyway, probably about a month after we opened, they were doing that scene and the actress hands this doll to the actor mm-hmm. and one of the legs fell off <laughs> and landed on the stage. <laughs> I mean, that must be and, quite a mood breaker for the audience. Oh my God. And the, the other the other actor had no choice but to just reach out and pick it up. I mean, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so awful. Yeah. You know, it's really great to hear that honesty from your side because it always happens. And maybe, I mean, in my case, in our school plays, it happens all the time. And it's really great to see that even at the professional level, there's room for some mistakes. And still Absolutely. It's, still, it's about how you cope up with it. Um, and later. Yes. And there was you know, another thing which I wanted to ask that besides from all your amazing work, which you're doing through all these productions, we are familiar with your great work in the 2016 Oscars, where I heard you share that your main inspiration was the 1970s glam and over 100,000 crystals were used for the stage designing. And it looks so elegant, to be honest, even I look today. How you came up with that 1970s theme? Can you take us through that whole research process? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I can't really remember where, um, you know, the Oscars is interesting to design because um, there isn't a story. You know, it's not like doing Mm -hmm. a play where you read a play and go, well, this is the story. So um, you've got to come up with an idea that that kind of resonates for Hollywood, uh, for movie making, Mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't, you know, it's not about a particular story. And, uh, you know, I'd done a number of sets that celebrated the glamour of old Hollywood, you know, Hollywood of the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. You know, I guess one year, you know, I was thinking, well, what are the, what are some of the other great eras of Hollywood? And, you know, I was thinking, well, my, mm-hmm. a lot of my favorite Hollywood movies were actually made in the 1970s. There was such a great era. There were so many great movies made in the 70s. And so, you know, and I started thinking about that. And I, you know, I certainly thought, you know, that would actually be a fun design idea that's got a different type of glamour. Um, it's, you know, it is a glamour of Hollywood, but it's a different type of glamour, which is that 70s glamour. And so that's where, you know, and so I proposed that to the producers and they liked the idea. And so I sort of ran with that. And that's where that, that's really where that came from. That's right. And one of one of the designs in the 2018 Oscars that with all that lighting and stuff, I mean, it was totally mind blowing to watch that whole setup in what was the inspiration behind it? I'm all curious about it. Um, I got I don't remember 2018. Um, I'm not sure. Did I do it in 2018? I'm not sure I did it because I, I did it for six years. Yeah, I, um, I believe it's 2013 till 18. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't remember um, exactly where those ideas came from, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, to I'd be, have to look at the pictures yeah. again. I don't remember. There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's truly an act of humbleness because you know, when a person gets an award or does something on such a big scale, they always remember it and make it a point to share it with each and every yeah. person. <laughs> and it's great to see that kind of modesty from you. No, if I would be in your place, I would be blowing all paragraphs and I would prepare the whole script of what I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not a problem. That truly makes you that how much of a genuine and passionate person you are. You're always focused on the next thing. 
and That's you know true. you you have worked at all levels from theatrical productions to oscars where i believe there's no limit to budget when it comes to oscars you can no that's not true there's always no. a bu- there's always a limit <laughs> to the budget okay um, but oscar is such a big you know, stage and big platform it is aired worldwide that you can even send a person blowing out benjamin franklin 100 dollars notes on the stage and they would say okay let's go with it and i want to ask you that what is your favorite working in those theatrical productions or creating the set design for big production like oscar uh, to be honest i mean yes the oscars were a thrill um because so many people saw them and that was you know it was fun to work on something where you know most of my friends would see it <laughs> at the same time so that was that was you know <laughs> that was something that was exciting but um really the the to be honest my favorite thing for me is anything that's good like there's nothing there's nothing better than working on a show that is good when 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 it's good and the audiences respond um that's a very very gratifying uh experience and in a way that matters more to me than um than anything else mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i love it when when my uh when i've done a design that i'm proud of you know it's if i've done a design i'm proud of and and the show doesn't work people don't really respond to it it's not really that satisfying so mm-hmm. um you know I, i i i always choose the things that 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 work well true i've even seen you know so much praise for your work on your instagram post as well and Uh, besides from you know the size of the production it's always in your case i can see that it's always about just delivering the true message and the true idea of the story and how audience reacts to it it's uh, really inspiring to actually watch a live theater and i personally you know can't wait for this whole pandemic to close down because the even though we can watch everything on netflix and stuff but still when it comes to watching with the whole audience and enjoying that theatrical production that's a totally whole new experience absolutely there's nothing like it i mean i think that we you know as humans really have a need for uh collective experiences and collective storytelling i mean it's an ancient you know collective storytelling is an obviously a really ancient art form and um you know as great as television and movies are and there's really great television and movies um especially now but it's but it is not the same thing as seeing a story told live uh to a group of audiences and i i agree with you i cannot wait for this pandemic to be over i i you know uh, i i i long to be back in a room watching a play even if i don't like the play like the that experience of you know of seeing something and debating it afterwards yeah. um is is <laughs> it's the best thing true and uh, you know before ending with the podcast i would like to hear from your own words that if any aspiring set designer would be listening to this what do you think are the most crucial qualities that have really helped you in being successful in this field and how can one implement it um well i think drawing learning to draw well uh is really super helpful um you know i'm not i don't consider myself an art uh, a fine artist i'm not a painter or a drawer by profession i'm a set designer but i use drawing every day as a part of my design process it's how i design i design things by drawing them and it's also how i communicate i you know i have to show 
drawings to directors. I have to show drawings to the people who are going to build the scenery. There are different levels of drawing. Some of them are very rough and some of them are very precise. But, you know, as a designer, everything comes down to a drawing at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you're just going to talk about it, then you're not really exactly a designer or mm -hmm. something else. Drawing, I would say, is, 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 is fundamental. Um, learning to read and talk about story is really important, uh, hugely important. Developing relationships with the directors uh, and, uh, and also developing good uh, collaborating habits with the other people you have to work with. Because theater is one of the most intensely collaborative forms you you know you have to work with the director you've got to work with producers you've got to work with managers you've also got to work with a whole lot of craftsmen who are going to have to build the design and so you need to not only be able to um you know be give them clear direction but you have to inspire them and and you know the, the more excited that they are about about building something the better out, the better it's going to turn out so those are also really important skills yeah. You know, so learning, and it took me a long time to learn how to develop those. They did not come, not come uh, easily to me. Uh, it took, you know, I had to really work on that. Uh, I even read in your in a story that you really did not like the Harvard art classes, and you specifically for that, you know, you said in the other ones. And yes, when it comes to art, you know, it's one of my weakest weakest points. So there goes my opportunity to become a set designer. I mean, my art teacher, she's never too late, never too late to learn. <laughs> yeah. My art teacher, she's you know, always calling my parents that your child can't even draw a simple damn scenery on the page. And personally, you know what I dislike about this whole education thing is they focus so much on the technical aspects. Like when I see your paintings, what I see is pure emotions being conveyed through that drawing. I don't see any technical, you know, angles and use that stuff. And I think if we focus more on the feeling side of things, like Robin Williams, one of my idols used to mm. share in this wonderful movie, The Date Poet Society, about that yeah. how important it is to feel, you know, the words, how can they inspire ideas. And yes. take it from any great Picasso who have done such great work in this field. It's always about you know, feeling the stuff rather than going into all the technicalities. That's, yes. that's what I find inspiring about art. I would like to ask you before leaving that is there anything you would like to share with your fans, any future set design, even though current the situations are um, not that well, but still, or any new painting you are working on? <laughs> Let's see. Well, I'm working on, I'm working on one. Uh, let's see if you can see it, right? <laughs> Yeah, I can see right here it on my shoulder. Yes, it's not quite finished yet, but I'm working on that. I, are you sure uh, it's a live painting or is it a printout? No, no, it's a painting. It's oil. <laughs> it seems so. Painting. It looks so perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not perfect, but thank you. <laughs> uh, it's really, uh, yeah, that's truly great. And I just want to say, um, now that is there any sort of genes that have passed through in your kids? Do they take interest in arts and stuff? Yeah, my um, uh, my oldest son is uh, he's uh, working as a film editor. He's editing as an editor on TV commercials, so that's definitely related. Um, and my my youngest, my daughter, is studying film in uh, in college, so that's also related. Uh, 
Uh, my middle one um, is working. Uh, he's working with. Uh, he's stu he's a st he's student, but he's uh, he's interested in refugees and uh, refugee issues, and so his, his stuff is a little bit different, but amazing. He's doing great work. He's going to do great things. True. It's really great to hear that you know, such kind of upbringing, the kind of leadership you have provided, because it really feels great to hear all that. And I'm sure they must, you know, come to you for advice or any sort of during school, any sort of art assignment, this sort of stuff. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I'm truly grateful to talk to you and thank you so much for sharing your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. It was great to know about the behind the scenes that goes around behind these productions and how much work goes into it. And I truly believe that people should also acknowledge it. Because as much as the actors and all these people are important, more important, which I believe is the thing that goes behind the scenes. And in your recent post, uh, which was with the Save the Arts, I've seen the mm. kind of work that goes on. You share those pictures. And yeah. there's this one thing in my mind that, which is your favorite part of the whole you know, process? Which part do you like the most? Oh, it's the it's definitely the uh, the brainstorming. It's coming up with the ideas. Um, you know, I love those uh, meetings with a director where you're you're sitting and and sort of imagining. You know, it's before you've done anything, before you before you've dealt with a budget or any of the problems, and you're just dreaming up what kind of show you want it to be. And that's that's the most exciting. Mm, it's really great to hear that. And. I'm truly honored to you know, talk to you, sir, because uh, I've been following your work for a long time and I was always planning that the moment I get an opportunity, you know, when it's comfortable for you, we'll surely have such a curious conversation. And I'm sure people would truly enjoy listening to it and would totally find it inspiring. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Hope you enjoyed as well. My pleasure. You are very well prepared. I would appreciate that. Um, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. All right. Have a good day. Have a good day. Thank you very much.